You're listening to The Voice. Benvenuti a Leuven. Leuven, you Добро пожаловать в Leuven. Bienvenue à Leuven. Willkommen in Leuven. Leuven에 오신 걸 환영합니다. Welcome in Leuven. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome back to the show. You are listening to The Voice on the radio, and this is Dashan. Unfortunately, today I'm alone uh, in doing the show because my co-host, the dear friend um, Anita, is sick and uh, her, her voice is not strong enough to maintain the show. So today will be a monologue and it is only when your friends are absent that I feel strongly appreciating their presence when they are with me. So just a shout out to Anita and uh, and of course with her and all my potential friends, that is you, uh, my listeners, I hope you are doing well uh, wherever you are, um, both mentally and physically healthy at this time of the year. For today's show, I'm very glad to have interviewed an old friend of mine, Alberto, on the topic of evolution. So as we all know, um, Charles Darwin published On the Origin of Species 150 years ago, and this book and the theory behind it has been very influential in the in 20th and the, in the 21st century. However, uh, for me, there's still a lot of myth and uh, misconception in terms of how should we understand the idea of evolution, especially human evolution. How am I supposed to understand myself as a human being by learning the results from evolutionary theory and uh, empirical sciences? And that is the topic that we are going to explore today. And to start us off, I would like to play a song chosen by our interviewee, uh, Alberto, later. It is a song called Come e Fondo il Male, How Deep is the Sea. And the song is, uh, is played by uh, Luci Dalle, this legendary Italian uh, songwriter. And I hope um, this motif of the ocean, of the sea, and of sailing uh, would guide us through today's show. Please enjoy. noi siamo in tanti ci nascondiamo di notte per paura degli automobilisti degli notibisti siamo i gatti neri siamo pessimisti siamo i cattivi pensieri e non abbiamo da mangiare come profondo il mare come profondo il mare babbo Eri un gran cacciatore di quaglie e di fagiani Caccia via queste mosche che non mi fanno dormire Che mi fanno arrabbiare Come profondo 
profundo el mar, come profundo el mar. È inutile, non c'è più lavoro, non c'è più decoro, Dio chi per lui sta cercando di dividerci, di farci del male, di farci annegare, come profondo il mare, come profondo il mare. Con la forza di un ricatto l'uomo diventò qualcuno, resuscitò anche i morti, spalancò prigioni, bloccò sei treni con relativi vagoni, innalzò per un attimo il povero a un ruolo difficile da mantenere, poi lo lasciò cadere a piangere e a urlare, solo in mezzo al mare, come profondo il Poi da solo l'urlo diventò un tamburo e il povero come un lampo nel cielo sicuro cominciò una guerra per conquistare quello scherzo di terra che il suo grande cuore doveva coltivare come profondo il mare, come profondo il mare ma la terra gli fu portata via compresa quella rimasta addosso fu scaraventato in un palazzo in un fosso non ricordo bene poi una storia di catene bastonate e chirurgia sperimentale come profondo il mare come profondo il mare intanto un mistico forse un avviatore inventò la commozione che rimise d'accordo tutti belli con i brutti con qualche danno per i brutti che si videro consegnare un pezzo di specchio così da potersi guardare come profondo il mare, come profondo il mare. Frattanto i pesci dai quali discendiamo tutti assistettero curiosi al dramma collettivo di questo mondo che a loro indubbiamente doveva sembrare cattivo e cominciarono a pensare nel loro grande come profondo il mare, nel loro grande mare, come profondo il mare. È chiaro che il pensiero dà fastidio, anche se chi pensa è muto come un pesce, anzi un pesce, è come pesce difficile da bloccare. Perché lo protegge il mare, come profondo il mare. Certo, chi comanda non è disposto a fare distinzioni poetiche, il pensiero come l'oceano non lo puoi bloccare, non lo puoi recintare. Così stanno bruciando il mare, così stanno uccidendo il mare, così stanno umiliando il mare. Così stanno piegando il
welcome back. The song you just listened to is uh, Come Profondo Il Mare. The song is chosen by our guest today, uh, Dr. Alberto Macaletti. And uh, let me say a few words about uh, how I met Alberto and what he does. And then he will introduce to you why he chose this song. So um, I know Alberto as a friend. Uh, we used to be uh, flatmates uh, when we were both in Scotland, where he did his PhD in uh, evolutionary biology. Now he works as a postdoc at uh, UCL in London at uh, the Faculty of Anthropology on the issue of uh, evolutionary uh, theory. So, um, so because today's focus is uh, evolution, I'm very happy and honored to uh, have uh, Alberto with me uh, to talk about issues of evolutionary theory. And uh, Alberto, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lashan. It's great to be here. Okay. And uh, well, now you can uh, tell our listeners uh, the meaning of the song. Oh, yes. So I chose for today three songs by Italian singer-songwriter Lucio Dalla. Mm -hmm. is, a, is a very famous figure. And this one, this song in particular, perhaps is not among his uh, most famous, but it's one that I really like. It's very poetic and it's a bit difficult to understand exactly what he's talking about, but I like to think it's a sort of like history of the universe. So perhaps this is the connection with, uh, with what we're talking about today. Right. So just to clear, uh, to, to tell our audience, uh, what is the meaning of the title? Means how deep is the sea? How deep is the sea? Okay, perfect. Um, right. So our topic today is evolution. And uh, so I'm going to tell you what I think of this um, idea of, of this theory. So I think it's, it's a very powerful, but also dangerous idea. Uh, it is powerful because uh, it is uh, backed by the scientific authority and it uh, has been, uh, people has investing a lot of energy and uh, uh, study into this theory. And it, it seems to be able to explain a lot of things. And in a very, in a quite, uh, uh, um, uh, understandable way almost when you take the conclusions uh, at the face value. Um, but that's also why I think it is quite dangerous uh, because uh, people often overlook the, uh, the um, attentiveness or the, or the speculativeness uh, of the science behind it. And they just take the conclusion and uh, uh, run with it as as it were. So so I so I find it's very dangerous for people who doesn't really understand the theory. Yes, is able to use this theory to explain the, something that they think uh, is backed by uh, evolution. So uh, that's why I, I'm very happy to have you here because you work uh, as an evolutionary theorist. Um, so you kind of work at the frontier of of this uh, uh, discipline and. Uh, so into this program, we will first talk about your specific uh, project, uh, well, past project, and then we will broaden our um, discussion to, uh, to this theory um, at large and uh, some questions that I think the people who are non-scientists might have. Does that sound okay? Yes, that's, that's great. Okay, perfect. So I think the best way to do it is I will explain your theory back to you. 
So I have read your paper and uh, I'm going to summarize it in, in the way that I think it's graspable to everyone. And then you tell me if that's correct. And then we can start from there. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So uh, the paper that I uh, focus on, uh, I choose for this uh, interview is the one you published in uh, 2018 called Why War is a Man's Game. Okay. So, um, so the topic is on uh, human warfare. Okay. And I think everybody knows that uh, war has always been exclusive, almost exclusively uh, male uh, activity. So only male soldiers go to war rarely. And only nowadays you, you start to find uh, female uh, uh, soldiers uh, at war. So your paper want to explain this phenomenon through evolutionary theory. Okay, and you want to explain it by building a certain mathematical model uh, to test some hypothesis. I'm not going to go into the detail of the math, but I want to focus on the conclusion that you, your paper has. So the conclusion is basically, um, it is not because of the sexual difference between man and woman, but because of sexual competition between men that results in man-exclusive warfare. Okay, so let me say more about that. Um, so one, like uh, uh, normal people might think, oh, the reason why only men go to war is because men are stronger or men are, are more resilient, uh, what have you, and women, it's more suitable to stay at home. Um, however, uh, your model seems to suggest that even if there's no sexual difference, as in physical difference between man and woman uh, in, in, in terms of uh, their uh, capacity to participate in war, the, the male exclusive warfare would still result as a consequence of evolution. Okay, so it seems to say that the sexual difference is neither necessary nor sufficient to explain this phenomenon. Instead, it's the sex specific feature of competition that exists in our society. That is, man competes with man for um, resources or female competes with female. That is driven, that dri drives man to go to war and uh, results in the male exclusive uh, uh, warfare. Okay, and the sexual uh, difference reinforces the pattern, but it doesn't cause the pattern, as it were. Okay, so now my first question to you, Alberto. Do you think it, uh, it, it uh, feels like a fair re rendition of your conclusion? And can you say more about the sex-specific feature of competition that the, the type of evolution that your work, work with uh, assumes or um, um, kind of um, relies on? Yes, I think this is overall, it's a good summary of a kind of very challenging uh, paper, a difficult paper to summarize. So uh, let me clarify a couple of points. Like mm -hmm. you, you said it correctly, our question was exactly to understand why participation in warfare is almost exclusively male rather than having simply like more uh, men than women. Mm -hmm. It is true that in the past, we have some evidence of, of women having, participating, uh, having participated in war. But as I said, it's never a majority of women or almost exclusively women. So in a way, I mean, let's give Caesar's what's, uh, what's Caesar's. 
Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, an important point here is to understand what we're doing with this mathematical model. So mm-hmm. a mathematical model is a, is a tool that allows us to take a verbal hypothesis, an idea we have about the world, mm-hmm. and see if it's uh, logically uh, consistent. So here, what we do, we take what, what we know about evolutionary theory that has been confirmed by uh, a number of experiments over the years, mm-hmm. and basically see, try to, to predict, to see how the system be, behaves, taking into account all the consequences of going to war for a person's own fitness and for the fitness of their relatives. Okay. So this is kind of what, 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 we're, what we're doing. So, as you, as you were saying, in the literature has been suggested that differences on average between men and women, again, let's uh, underline this, we are not, uh, you know, there are many women that are stronger than any given men, for example. Sure. So the literature suggested that these differences were kind of enough to explain this pattern, but we weren't quite uh, happy with that. So we explored an hypothetical case where men and women do not differ in any respect uh, on, on average. Now, this is one of the power of, uh, of models that allows us to explore these hypothetical scenarios. And what we found is that single sex participation in warfare would still evolve. And we found that it's enough because of feedbacks uh, between male participation of, of, of men and women. It is enough for more men than women to participate in war kind of initially, kind of yeah. ancestrally in a human past, to then disescalate to male-only warfare. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's what we mean. But theoretically, things could have gone in another direction if the condition had been different. In hyenas, for example, only, um, only females participate in intergroup fights. So to get to the sex-specific competition, The sex-specific competition is what generates the feedbacks. So ultimately, in the competition for reproduction, for the opportunity to to leave offspring, Mm -hmm. men compete against men and women compete against women. And this is kind of a feature of evolutionary uh, change in general. Yeah. Now, we were saying that it would have been enough to have an initial um, kind of more men than women going into war initially. This is possible, one possible explanation for this is that since men compete with men more than women compete with women, Mm -hmm. this is called sexual selection without getting into much detail, it would make sense that in a way they were kind of predisposed to to fight. It's just that that fighting was within group. Mm -hmm. Uh, The evolution of warfare moved this in group fighting towards the outgroup. I see. Okay. So, um, so in a way, that's very uh, counterintuitive almost, right? So, because as I said, normally people would assume man is stronger, therefore they go to war. Uh, but then your uh, paper suggests, no, that's a trivial example, which reinforces the pattern, but the pattern can be explained, well, the, the pattern need to be explained by another thing, namely the, the sex specific competition. 
Yes, exactly. That creates okay. the feedback and the single sex participation. Then these, these differences are there and perhaps they add a role in kind of further reinforcing this pattern. But they don't quite explain the extreme mm -hmm. nature of the pattern. Right. Okay. So, and uh, so since it's counterintuitive, I mean, one can imagine that uh, the media would like to uh, get some um, juice out of uh, this scientific uh, uh, discovery, as it were. And indeed, um, your, this research has attracted quite a bit of media attention and not at least from the Daily Mail. And for people who are not familiar with British uh, media, a Daily Mail is one of those most read uh, newspapers in the UK, and it's quite notorious for sensationalist and sometimes inaccurate reports of scientific research. So, and, and I know you have been interviewed by them and they wrote a piece uh, about this paper. And uh, in order to show, what, what can be possible uh, readings of your conclusion. Let me quote the title of the report. Okay, so the report says, uh, I quote, wars were traditionally fought by men because soldiers were scared their wives would have sex with other people if they did not all go to war, end of quote. So uh, I find it very comical uh, but I, I believe it reveals a serious uh, issue concerning uh, scientific explanation and how it is translated into public and especially uh, interpretation of evolution. So my second question is, um, is it wrong to interpret uh, your research as the journalists of the Daily Mail uh, did? And do, do you recommend any certain kind of uh, adequate way of interpretation with regards to your conclusion. Okay, yeah, this is, uh, this is always tricky. But I mean, first of all, let me say that I've had a good experience with this journalist from the Daily Mail. He mm -hmm. called me and we had a chat and he was, uh, you know, genuinely interested in, in understanding the research better. So I think that sometimes perhaps journalists get a bit of a bad rap, which is, uh, you know, not, not deserved. It's a, it's, a very, it's a very tough job because we write in a way that is kind of highly specialistic and we, yes. we write okay. for I can internal that. audience. Yeah. 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 No. I and I appreciate you took the time to 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 read to read the originals. So, mm -hmm. what happened here, in a way, is that that this journalist took took an example and kind of made it, if you want, into into the main into the main result. So, what we had found is that this feedback that leads to single sex participation uh, is generated by the fact that costs of participation decrease the more men are participating okay so if already a lot of a lot of men are participating the cost of me joining them is lower for each person joining okay. yeah. one way in this in, in which this could happen is is linked to um exactly exactly what what it talks about if all men going to war makes sure that no one risks uh, their, you know, their, their wives or girlfriends uh, attempting reproduction with other men. Sorry for using rather technical language. It's just, it's a um, yeah, professional and, deformation. Yeah. Uh, but it also allows us to keep a little bit detached from, uh, from our subject. So it's not, it's not entirely wrong, but uh, it is a bit sensationalistic and may, you know, 
unnecessarily leads to an interpretation that you know that this kind of is all about sex and violence yeah. while kind of human evolution and behavior is so much more than sex and violence i mean violence is a small part of our behavioral repertoire and you know we are much better at cooperation than we are at killing each other and one of the interesting things about warfare is that you know warfare is both a violent and a cooperative enterprise right um okay. you cooperate to attack the other group mm -hmm. okay so i think now it's it's good moment to take to uh, ask a more generalized uh, question about evolution uh, because as you said uh, it does get a lot of um let's say reductive understanding of the theory or misunderstanding misconception even um and i know you have been doing this for a long time and maybe you have experienced talking to people and uh, they have certain assumptions about evolution. Uh, if you can name like the, the, the most frequent ones that you have encountered, that you've, you've, you find it's important to uh, dispel the myth of this uh, theory, what, what would you say? Well, the one that I've already mentioned in a way, like without realizing, you know, the myth that nature is red in tooth and claw, as uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson said, Again, it's not so, all about sex and violence. So, so can can you can you see the poem again? So it should be in memoriam a a h I think, and sorry, in memoriam a h h yes by Alfred Tennyson, mm -hmm. and there's you know one verse he calls nature red in tooth and claw, you and too. I guess the the interpretation is that. You know, this was some of the impact of the reading of the origin of species back back then. That mm -hmm. uh, this impression that ultimately, you know, is about the survival of the fittest, the survival of the most violent. This yeah. is actually incorrect. Like mm -hmm. uh, a lot of uh, research in evolutionary biology and evolutionary human behavior is about understanding the evolution of of cooperation. I see. And. Cooperation is everywhere in the, you know, in the animal kingdom and especially in our own species. Conflict and cooperation in a way often go together. If I, when I try and summarize the questions I'm interested in, is always, these are always the two terms that I use. I'm interested in seeing how conflict and cooperation over different social behaviors, behaviors that happen at group level within, mm -hmm. kind of go together and shape the way we behave. I see. Okay. Uh, okay. That I think that's very good. And uh, now let's take an intermission. Um, we'll play another song uh, chosen by uh, Alberto. It is also by the same singer. Who who is? Is Lucio Dalla. Lucio and Dalla. this one is. I'll let you say it. Uh, Nuvolali. Okay. And uh, please enjoy. di statura nuvolari e al di sotto del normale nuvolari e a 50 kg d'ossa nuvolari ha un corpo eccezionale nuvolari ha le mani come artigli nuvolari ha un talismano contro i mali il suo sguardo è di un falco per i figli i suoi muscoli sono muscoli eccezionali 
uccelli nell'aria perdono l'ali quando passano volai quando corre nuvolari mette paura perché il motore è feroce mentre taglia ruggendo la pianura gli alberi della strada strisciano sulla piada sui muri cocci di bottiglia ci sciolgono come bottiglia Quando corre nuvolari, quando passa nuvolari, la gente arriva in mucchio e si stende sui prati. Quando corre nuvolari, quando passa nuvolari, la gente aspetta il suo arrivo per ore e ore. E finalmente quando sente il rumore salta in piedi e lo saluta con la mano, gli grida parole d'amore e lo guarda scomparire come guarda un soldato a cavallo, a cavallo nel cielo di aprile. Maschera tagliente, nuvolaria la bocca sempre chiusa di morire, non gli importa niente. Corre se piove, corre dentro il sole, 3 più 3 per lui fa sempre 7. Con l'alfa rossa fa quello che vuole, dentro il fuoco di 107. come rinasce Ramarro, Battevarzi e Campari, Borzacchini e Fagioli, Brilliperi e Ascari.
Welcome back. And the song you just listened to is Nouveau Lally. And Alberto, do you want to、uh, explain to us? So this is another song by Lucio Dalla, and is dedicated to Tazio Nuvolari, who was an Italian、um, racing driver in the, I guess, 30s and 40s, like first half of the 20th century, and he's like legendary.、Uh, I think he also interacted with Enzo Ferrari. Was、mm-hmm. legendary for being very reckless in a way, but he、mm-hmm. he won a lot. And this song, it really gives like that energy of the racing and people like enjoying him. Racing past them just for a second and camping、right. all day just for that moment. Okay. Okay. Great. And、uh, so for this part of the interview,、um, I would like to move away from the the specificities of your work、uh, and to more、uh, generalized and even more personal questions about、uh, working on、uh, the theory of evolution. So. And、uh, I mean, as as our listeners might realize,、uh, the theory of evolution, as we just talk about it, can be quite abstract, and there are a lot of、um, hypothetical uh, conditions, and there are a lot of things that、uh, common common people who didn't work on it might not necessarily understand.、Uh, but you,、uh, Alberto,、uh, have. Uh, told me several times that you study evolution because you want to understand human beings and who we are. So, so my question concerns the relation between evolutionary theory at that level and the individuals. Okay, and、uh, I'll start with、uh, with the following question.、Um, because the the model of Sorry, because the mathematical model relies on certain hypothetical conditions of human being, which might be simplified and with with controlled variables,、uh, etc. So by by hypothetical, I mean、uh, the language you use in the paper often has a structure such as if a condition is met, then human beings can,、uh, what have you. That is to say, it is theoretical science that you work on rather than empirical one.、Um, and、uh, can you say more about the division between these two types、uh, of scientific discovery or scientific inquiry within evolutionary theory、uh, as a whole? And、uh, how 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 should one Uh, like us, how should readers take、uh, the the validity of a of a hypothetical uh, theory, uh, for example? Okay, well, you ask a very deep, very important question. But before I I get to that, like very briefly, I want to underline that indeed, yes, I I study human evolution because I want to understand who we are.、Uh, my dream is to become. Like a, a lecturer, and my dream is to start a course one day by asking students why they're there, and who do you think we are. And to me,、uh, studying human evolution and human behavior is like as is a compelling way to attempt to ask to answer that that question. But I also think that you know it's kind of one of the branches of the tree of wisdom. All other disciplines, in my view. Are trying to do the same. So, to me, you could ask, you could ask, start any university course with those two questions. But let me get to human evolution and and evolutionary theory. So, as I said, I'm an evolutionary theorist, 
which means both that I'm interested in uh, kind of advancing our understanding of evolutionary theory as a whole, but also means that the way in which I produce new results is through mathematical modeling. Mm-hmm. This is kind of, you know, the, the more theoretical side. So models allow us, as I was saying, to test the logical coherence of an idea and find, you know, mechanisms that we weren't necessarily expecting, as the case that was just discussed. Mm-hmm. But it also allows us to generate predictions about how we expect things to be. Then it's really important that, you know, theoreticians like me work in close contact with people doing empirical science who can, you know, go out there and measure and test the theory and see if these assumptions are met or not. Mm-hmm. But it's not a one-way process because, you know, the data that they bring from the field then inspires more like theoretical development. So it's really like a synergistic relationship between the two. In the past, I've been part of a kind of more theory-driven department. Well, now I'm in a more empirically-driven department, but with interest in theory. So it's been really, really exciting mm-hmm. to collaborate with empiricists and you know, I'm, I'm thankful to be here because given the circumstances, I wasn't sure I could even make the jump from France to London. Right. Okay. So I think that's, uh, you have showed the relevance uh, of theoretical uh, science to the empirical science, but that's still within the scientific community, as it were. So then, of course, uh, for me, uh, uh, at the back of my mind, and uh, the Delphic motto, uh, know thyself. Uh, at, so n- self-knowledge at this individual level uh, uh, looms large here. So it is not immediately clear to me how can the theory of evolution, which studies human being as a species, almost with capital H, if you want, can be relevant to my individual private life and my understanding of myself. So, uh, to, so to put it in, uh, to put it crudely, so when I want to explain myself to myself, okay, why do I like someone? Should I think, oh, it is because I want to spread my genes and uh, and you know whatever evolutionary theory might entail? Uh, I know it is an absurd uh, explanation, but I want to hear from you as to why it is absurd. Uh, if indeed uh, reproduction for the sake of gene spreading is one of the most common and well-known thesis of evolutionary theory? This is, you know, an extremely interesting and extremely like important question. And I uh, do not necessarily expect to give, to be able to give a full answer to this, but I'll give you my take on it. In a way, what you have suggested, uh, you know, asking why do I like someone? Is it because I want to spread my genes is uh, is absurd. But in a certain way, it is not. It, what is absurd is to take this, which is kind of one specific like facet of that behavior and take it as like an explanation for the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. So we are animals, we are evolved beings like the other animals. So we do share something with that ancestry and our behaviors and desires have some biological basis. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that they are kind of like fully controlled and determined by this biological basis. This is an extremely important point Mm -hmm. to get through. 
we're not kind of demonstrating that there is biological determinism far from it like uh, humans are you know extremely complicated and we have our, our behavior is the result of the interaction between kind of the, the biological basis of the of our behaviors that come from from our ancestry our interaction with our environment but also our interaction with uh, with one another and uh, and kind of knowledge that is passed socially what what we generally call culture now there's a great interest at the moment in cultural evolution and what that means um but so when you ask yourself why do you like someone well that's that's perhaps one of of the deepest questions that you can ask and it has many levels of explanation and and ultimately the the, the science the biology surely will be part of it but that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's that it's only that i see. absolutely Right. And depending on your philosophical beliefs, of course, like that question will have many, many different uh, levels of, of explanation as we want. And I think, you know, as an evolutionary scientist, I can speak to one of them. Mm-hmm. As a human being, I'm happy to, you know, discuss with you after dinner, as I've done many times, all of them. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we sh- should do as human beings. Right. So uh, in that sense, uh, um, I, I, I think, yes. So we can't take a, a partial explanation to be the whole explanation, right? Um, but, uh, but, but I think the, the, the common uh, assumption is evolution is so fundamental that this part of the explanation is the foundation of other explanations. Uh, I don't know if you uh, uh, subscribe to that view. So, so, so knowledge are not equal uh, in terms of explanatory powers. Some knowledge are more, uh, uh, let's say, superficial or tentative, or it depends on some more fundamental ones. Um, and many people think evolution is, the, is one of those uh, basic level uh, uh, fundamental uh, explan- explanations. Okay, that's uh, that's an interesting point. Um, I mean, I think I think that kind of our behaviors as the result of evolutionary processes, both on the kind of biological side and the cultural side, have have a very like uh, have a very important impact. I mean, I wouldn't studying them if they if they didn't. But it's a bit you know it's a diff- bit difficult to parcel out. Uh, you know, in terms of percentages, I don't even know if I, if I, if I, if I really want to do it. Um, I understand, like that feeling of uneasiness of saying, you know, in a way, am I, am I a machine? Am I, you know, determined by all this, 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 this biology? As I said, like ultimately, to me, the question is no. But I don't, I don't quite fully know the details. Uh, for sure, it has something to do with the fact that we have, uh, you know, we have self-reflection. Like, mm-hmm. for example, all this doesn't mean that you consciously, you know, do the calculations about genes. We're not right. expecting you to do any calculations. But yeah, to to conclude, yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very difficult. As I said, I don't, I don't have a full answer to this, but I'm, you know, I'm profoundly convinced that. You know, we have we have no basis to believe like in pure determinism. 
even if we don't get to the kind of like uh, metaphysical level. But of course, you know, we can even get there. But even before getting there, uh, our behavior is, you know, influenced by many different channels and, and we have self-reflection. So I think, and we forget it too often, mm-hmm. the fact that we are at, they were asking these questions and trying to understand what might be shaping us and our behavior is is extraordinary like i'm uh, i you know i'm amazed reflecting on that and i i don't think i can fully explain it science attempts to explain it mm-hmm. always always the point and we have some answers this is not to say, oh, it's it's all just a theory. It's it's not like I mean, a theory is an hypothesis being backed up by a lot of of experimental results. So it's more than a theory. But still, we're trying to explain something extremely complicated. So we have got at one part, one facet of it all. Mm-hmm. In our own individual lives, I think we need you know we need to find our compass and understanding kind of who we are as also as biological beings mm-hmm. can help us ultimately. But, you know, you do have to find your own compass and it will, it will be different from person to person. Right. I think that's a, that's a great uh, remark to find your own campus in your own life. Um, and uh, I want to thank you, uh, Alberto, to uh, talk with me on this uh, difficult issue. And uh, to follow this motif of find your own campus, we'll introduce the final song called uh, Etica, which is home where uh, Odysseus finally uh, arrives in Homer's Odyssey. On that note, I wish uh, everyone can listen to this song and think about how to find their own uh, campus. Enjoy. Capitano che hai negli occhi il tuo nobile destino pensi mai al marinaio a cui manca pane e vino capitano che hai trovato principesse in ogni porto pensi mai al rematore che sua moglie crede morto Capitano, le tue colpe pago anch'io coi giorni miei, mentre il mio più gran peccato fa sorridere gli dèi. E se muori è un re che muore, la tua casa avrà un erede. Quando io non torno a casa, entran dentro fame e sete.
l'astuzia ogni avventura ti ricordi di un soldato che ogni volta ha più paura ma anche la paura in fondo mi dà sempre un gusto strano se ci fosse ancora mondo sono pronto dove andiamo The song you just listened to is Asica. Asica is the home of Odysseus, the hero in Homer's epic Odyssey. The song, however, is the narrative of one sailor who had sailed the journey with Odysseus, and it is about the sailor's longing for home. However, amongst this longing for homecoming, There is also a desire to keep exploring. I quote from part of the lyrics, which says, But deep within, fear always gives me a strange feeling. If there is still a world left to explore, I am ready. Where are we going? So I think this song speaks for our two opposite desires. On the one hand, we desire for certainty, homeliness, and comfort. On the other hand, we also long for uncertainty, freedom, challenge, and adventure. And I, and I thank you, uh, my listeners, for staying with me till this very moment because I think this double feature of our orientation is also present in our uh, desire to know more about ourselves and in our, in our interview's case to know ourselves through evolution and I hope my interview with Alberto can show that knowing human evolution is only one facet of being human. As Alberto said, our biological nature does not determine us, does not define us, and could not replace the choices that we make, the decisions that we take. It cannot tell us how to live. We need to find our own campus to sail the sea of life.
and it requires us to keep knowing new things, keep reminding us of our own ignorance, and if we have fear, which is normal, it is normal to have fear, then maybe we can put our faith in our humanity, in this shared journey that we go through with others, to find home, not necessarily where we come from, but where our friends and lovers are. They would give us the courage to keep exploring. I would like to end this epilogue with passages from two poems. The first one is from Canto 26 of the Inferno in Dante's Divine Comedy, where Dante encounters Odysseus at the eighth circle of hell, and he recounts the following words that Odysseus says to his sailors. Brothers, O you, who have crossed a hundred thousand dangers, reach the west, you must not deny this last vigil. Time that still is left to feel life, the new experience of the uninhabited world behind the sun. Think of the seed that gave you birth. You were not made for brutish ignorance. You were made man to follow after knowledge and virtue. But, of course, for Dante, Odysseus is still a sinner. For his sin is to lust after adventure, curiosity for the unknown. So in Dante's rendition, Odysseus is not the homecoming hero in Homer, but the wandering voyager who is unwilling to give up the sea for home. So in order to balance our story, I will end with one passage from the American poet T.S. Eliot, the one stanza from his Four Quartets, which also deals with the voyage of exploring life and the theme of homecoming. It goes like this. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. So in Eliot's rendition, the journey of exploring and the journey of homecoming is not two journey, it's the same journey. And the purpose of looking for home and the purpose of looking for new things, be curious about the outside world, it's not two different de desires. It's the same desire. I know um, it is very hard to reconcile the two. And uh, I hope in future episodes, we would explore themes related to this idea. Thank you very much for listening to today's show. And if you, you would like to find out more about us, please visit our website thevoiceleuven.be to check out our articles or to find us on social media, The Voice 
or to follow us on Spotify at The Voice on Radio. Till we meet again, good luck and take care. <laughs>